Hey there, everybody. Welcome back. Another podcast of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, along with uh, the illustrious David Durfee. What's up, Nothing buddy? illustrious about me. <laughs> they, uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm not. That's one thing I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but everybody that knows you sure does love you. <laughs> illustrious is not a word I would <laughs> great reason want that. or use to I like to throw me. curveballs like that at you every once in a while, just see how you're going to respond. And so far, you've been able to hit every one of them. So, <laughs> How are you? I'm good. All, all well. Good. Oh, well, looking forward to talking about uh, repentance and getting into the putting some meat on these bones. Well, I think we kind of started with some meat on the bones last week as we uh, talked about uh, the power of faith or the faith of power, and which does lead us right into this next topic, right? Repentance. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Faith and- in the Lord Jesus Christ and then repentance. So I, I I don't know where people are, how many, you know, you, you never know. We get new listeners probably every week. And uh, this is, again, kind of the heart of it. But I, I don't necessarily think it's the most important part of this whole course. But it is kind of the heart of it. Right. Because the reason this whole course came about and was created was because of stake presidents coming to to us at the Institute and requesting uh, help on helping young adults to repent. Is there a course that you can develop or teach that would help our young adults to repent? That was the the cry and the request from good priesthood leaders. So together with others, I I put together this course, sent it to Salt Lake, got it approved, and I began, I was assigned and began to teach it. And it was called repentance and forgiveness. So for someone to take this course called repentance and forgiveness, Scott, they either had to be really, really humble. And some of them really were some of them. I, 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 I wasn't worried about their salvation. I mean, you could tell they, I mean, really it was some of the best kids took course. this course. Yeah. Some of the kids probably who you would think, or many would think needed repentance the least. Yeah. are the ones who took it the most. Yeah. I know from experience that sometimes those of us who need it the most are going to avoid that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so anyway, but there were others who came who were assigned to come by their priesthood yeah, leaders right. or who or who really felt a need and who were who were at that point in time in their life who had maybe hit rock bottom and were were really trying hard to repair and breach their you know, relationships, um, demand their relationship. And a lot of them took it because of the word forgiveness. They weren't only seeking forgiveness, but they were wondering how they could forgive others. And so this became kind of the heart of the course because they would always ask, when are we going to talk about repentance and forgiveness? We have spent how many, how many, uh, podcast <laughs> episodes on, on identity, and the fall, and the atonement of Jesus Christ, and then faith. We've done two or three podcasts on faith yep, alone. That's right. This will be, uh, and we'll you know, throw a couple of interviews in there that we've done. This will be 23. This is our 20, I think, tar- 22 or 23. So it's saying there's 23 episodes yeah. to get to the heart of the course, which is repentance and forgiveness. But we're there. I just want to. I just want to state again the obvious, probably, 
that you can't just repent without kind of knowing who you are, your need for a Savior and Redeemer, what the atonement of Jesus Christ is, what it was, and how much he suffered, and how did I cause it. And if you don't really understand the atonement of Jesus Christ, it's it's almost silly to try to jump in to, to repent. But I know a lot who who do. I even know of lots of bishops who just go right to the steps of repentance. Yeah. And I know one bishop reported this. So I want to just begin with this story from a, a bishop in a young adult stake at BYU, which he shared many years ago. Anyway, I won't I won't share his name even though it's written up in the in the uh, church magazines. But he shares this story about when he was a bishop and he was really struggling with members of his young adult ward who would come and confess their sins to him and want to repent. And then they would talk about repentance. They would talk about what they needed to do and all the steps of repentance. And then uh, two or three weeks later, they'd be right back in his office confessing all over again the same sins. They would talk more about repentance or repeat what had already been said about repentance. And then two or three weeks later, they'd be right back in his office talking about repentance again and about the same sins over and over and over again. Uh, individuals spinning their spiritual wheels, not being able to make progress. And he said he was really feeling, he really got discouraged. And he began to fast and pray about this. Like, what can I do to help these these uh, wonderful, beautiful young adults? And he, he just felt like he was failing as a bishop. And after much prayer and fasting, he said it was one day there where he was just kind of happened to be serendipitously reading the uh, articles of faith and his eyes fell to the fourth article of faith. We believe that the first four principles and ordinances of the gospel are first faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, it was like it was pulsating off the page first, first, Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just struck him like a ton of bricks. Wow. I have been trying to put the second principle of repentance before the first principle of faith in Jesus Christ. And he said he began to, it completely changed his approach to helping young adults to learn how to repent. And you can't have faith in Jesus Christ, of course, if they don't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. So he started to talk about Jesus Christ, the atonement, how to exercise faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement. And he said what he witnessed was miraculous, that individuals, once they had faith in Jesus Christ, got, they really began to make, not all, but markedly, it was it was so much different and so much better, and eff- their repentance was so much more efficacious and effective because they were doing it based on their faith in Jesus Christ. So I I've come to this conclusion in my own experience, personal experience with repentance, and my family's experience, and and others in the church who I've helped in as a bishop or in a stake presidency or other callings, 
especially at the missionary training center as a branch president trying to help missionaries to repent. I've come to this conclusion, Scott, that I believe is, is true and without exception. Anyone who is really spinning their wheels, anyone who just keeps repenting of the same sins over and over and over again, keeps committing the same sins over and over and over again. It's not because they're not repenting, perhaps, but it is always because they lack sufficient faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the power behind all repentance, at least effective, efficacious repentance. A lot of people are going through the motions. A lot of people are studying repentance. A lot of people are trying to, how can I get the atonement of Jesus Christ in my life without really understanding the need and the power of faith in their life. So I I just, we've talked a lot about faith and we needed to because there is no repentance without faith. And we haven't read this scripture yet, Scott, to kind of connect the two as we, as we make this transition, but let's go to uh, Alma chapter uh, 34 and this amazing discourse. Again, this is a amulet Alma's trusty missionary companion, and they're teaching the Zoramites and trying to help those needy Zoramites who've been cast out of their synagogues to understand Jesus Christ and how to build faith. In Alma chapter 32, right, Alma spent a whole chapter and 33 on faith and how to plant the word, and the word was Jesus Christ and him crucified, and how to plant that in their hearts that they might have faith. And now Amulek follows up. And look at what he says. I really love this this connection, and this phrase is unique in the Book of Mormon. Faith unto repentance. Notice how many times he uses that in these verses, Scott. Verses 15 through 17. And thus he shall bring salvation to all those who shall believe on his name. Did you get that? Yeah. Believe on his name. Believe on his name. Not just believe in him. But believe on his name. There's a difference. Right. We've talked all about that. Okay, yeah. that just Yeah, and and, it, and that would be worth reviewing for those of you who uh want to, you know, go back and pick that up in our last episode. There's a difference between faith in Christ and faith in the name. There's a difference between believing in him and believing on his name. Anyway, I I just hope our listeners will will become more sensitized to that. And starting at 15, and thus he shall bring salvation to all those who shall believe on his name. This being the intent of this last sacrifice, to bring about the bowels of mercy, which overpowereth justice and bringeth about means unto men that they may have faith unto repentance. There is no repentance that is true repentance that is not preceded by faith in Jesus Christ and believe on his name. Okay, verse 16. And thus, mercy can satisfy the demands of justice and encircles them in the arms of safety. Love that phrase. I I absolutely love that imagery of of being encircled in the arms of safety. Repentance and mercy satisfy the demands of justice and encircle them in the arms of safety, while he that exercises no faith unto repentance is exposed to the whole law of the demands of justice. 
Therefore, only unto them that has faith unto repentance is brought about the great and eternal plan of redemption. Therefore, may God grant unto you, my brethren, that ye may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance, that ye begin to call upon his holy name. Not just call upon him, but his holy name, that he would have mercy on you. Okay. I think uh, Amulek uses the phrase faith unto repentance four times in those uh, in those three verses. And I really love what he's what he's saying by using that statement. Faith unto repentance. That that should be our emphasis is learning of Christ and being able to exercise faith in Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus Christ, faith in the name, that we might be able to now repent. And once an individual has sufficient faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement, Scott, it's amazing, really, how speedily one can repent. But it's the faith unto repentance that we should focus more on than the than the steps of repentance. I don't even like that phrase, steps of repentance. That, I, that was developed years ago in the church, and I don't think that's the way it works. It's it's not like checking off a list. And we're going to talk more about that in the next podcast or two. So in uh, helping uh, others uh, teach that course and the thousands of students who took it, and then helping Elder Anderson in his uh, book called The Divine Gift of Forgiveness, I had done a survey several times, and then I had compiled all of these, and there was definitely a pattern as to why young adults found it hard to repent. I would ask them, uh, to tell me why your friends are unwilling to repent, that's or a, what makes it hard for them to repent. That's a good, safe way to pose that question. <laughs> so they would tell me all the reasons why their friends and family based on their experience, <laughs> their own personal experience, I'm sure, why uh, why they found it hard to repent. Well, I had quite a list, and uh, I had sent these all up to Elder Anderson and uh, kind of the results of my survey, and and he, he captured some of them in his book here. This is on page 121 of his book, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness. So let me just throw this out, hang on, hanging on to that page. But the Divine Gift of Forgiveness is now the uh, the curriculum book for that. Yeah, the, this is the student the, manual. That's the student manual. That's, worldwide. That's so that the uh, the the course that David was just referencing that he that David actually wrote and was approved and is now being still taught uh, is now no longer called uh, Repentance and Forgiveness. It's called the Divine Gift of Forgiveness. Yeah, based on uh, the title of his exactly. Book. And uh, this is the same institute class that Deb and I. Have have the and have had for the last few years the uh, privilege of teaching also at BYU now. Yeah. But okay, go ahead. So here's some of the reasons um, that people uh, find it hard to repent. I don't think I can do it. My friends will desert me. I have sunk too far to change. My mistakes aren't that bad. There are others a lot worse than I am. I don't want to tell everything. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of others. What would my bishop say? I can't just start doing better. The past will go away. I don't fully trust those who want to help. With willpower, I can do it myself. I'll change later when my life is different. I have to do this. 
by myself. And uh, here's a few more. If I try and fail, I'm worse than I am now. And, uh, you know, that was a big one, actually. There were so many who said, well, I'm afraid that if I'm trying to repent, I'm not going to be able to quit sinning. So it's just going to make it worse. That That's based on a myth of, you know, that we have taken from Scripture that all former sins return. And we think that sins stack up and they get worse and worse and worse and worse. And a lot of them, they weren't going to repent because they didn't want their, their all the sins to come yeah, back and if they, they made want, them another mistake. And they didn't want to be more accountable. Anyway, and the details that I, here's another one, the details that I will need to confess will be too disappointing to those who I love. Well, he's reworded some of those, but and there were several more. But here was the pattern that Elder Anderson and I both observed uh, when we discussed the, the surveys that I had taken. The pattern was that there were two major reasons why people would not repent. Fear. And pride. And pride. And that's why he chose to call this. I think I called this chapter when I was working on it, the roadblocks to repentance. But he did a much better job. He calls it the twin bullies preventing repentance. Elder Anderson's really amazing and a genius when it comes to this sort of thing, uh, presentation and and uh, appealing to the to the young people. So the the twin bullies of repentance that keep us from repenting are fear and pride. So maybe we should just talk about that for a minute, Scott, before we jump into the process of repentance itself and how we can uh, help ourselves, our families, and listeners to, uh, to kind of uh, understand how these two keep us, these two things keep us from repenting. And you have any initial thoughts yeah, yeah, on that? Actually, I'm just going to make a comment. Uh, I think Elder Anderson has a, a really kind of a cool little video snippet that goes along with his lessons. In fact, you can find this curriculum, you know, as part of the LDS library at LDS.com org or whatever. Um, and, and I'll try to remember to uh, go ahead and attach that. Uh, it's, 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 I think it's literally called the Twin Bullies. Um, and uh, I'll see if we can get that in. Watch for that in the show notes. But uh, this, this uh, part, uh, as we start moving in to repentance and the process of repentance, I know that, you know, from personal experience, this can be a, a spot where maybe we get a little tripped up. Maybe we get a little anxiety that starts rising up inside of us. Maybe there's some fear and definitely some pride sometimes that does start coming up. And I would just invite us that as we go through this episode and subsequent episodes to this, as we address this, to put all of your preconceived notions about what all of this means, just set them aside for a minute. You can come back to them if you want to later, but let's just put them aside for a minute and maybe explore the possibilities of the wonderment and the uh, the beauty of the things that uh, the doctrine of Christ really sets forth for us as as it relates to repentance and and I think that that can help our experience here if we're able to do that Dave yeah thank you and and thanks Scott for using the term doctrine of Christ you know we are, we are really I've been meaning to 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 uh, that's a term unique again to the Book of Mormon, the doctrine of Christ. And, and that's really where we're at. We're in the middle uh, in our right. 
we're in the middle of discussing that. Uh, doctrine of Christ is faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. And so we're that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this course, really, is for the the whole rest of this this season, we're talking about the doctrine of Christ. Yeah. One more thing, too. I would, I would encourage all of you, all of us, to gain a copy of uh, the Divine Gift of Forgiveness uh, by Elder Neil L. Anderson. It's available in all of the church bookstores, and, and I think it's actually available in many of the other bookstores, Barnes & Noble and you know things like that as well, and uh, certainly online. Not expensive. It's paperback. I know that there's very little, if any, profit being taken just because this is Elder Anderson's way of putting out these important principles and making them available to as many people as possible. But we'd encourage all of you to gain a copy of this and uh, make it maybe part of your own spiritual study. Well, I know Elder Anderson is really pleased by the way the book is uh, being used in the church, in the institute, also by bishops, priesthood leaders, stake presidents. I know that, um, you know, many of them have been encouraged to share it with individuals who are seeking to repent. This was uh, Elder Anderson. uh, That was really his vision. I remember him sharing Early on, his vision, again, the faith and eye of faith of a prophet, seeing this uh, book being used by bishops and bishops having several copies in their office. And And I know that's happening. I I have bishops come up to me quite frequently uh, and tell me, hey, I love the podcast. I love how it supports what we're doing with the divine gift of forgiveness. And so I know that that's actually happening pretty extensively, actually. Yeah. So that's really sweet. Scott, fear, fear is, I, I think I've shared my story before, and this maybe isn't the place to share it again, but Satan controls and manipulates us through fear. I, I think of all of his tools, this is the, the greatest tool that maybe he has, is fear. 127 times in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, all the, all the holy scriptures, 127 times I went through every verse that either had the word fear or afraid in it. And we are commanded 127 times to fear not or be not afraid. It shuts us down. Yeah. Fear keeps us from, from strengthening our relationship from God and from our relationship from Jesus Christ and from progressing. Right. And it's one of uh, Satan's greatest tools. I mean, over and over again, we're commanded, fear not, fear not, fear not. Even in that scripture we keep referring to over and over again in this course, look unto me and every thought. Yeah. Well, right before that, the Lord commands Oliver Cowdery through Joseph Smith, this Doctrine and Covenants 6, to fear not. And and then he repeats it, doubt not, fear not. He He says that twice in those verses, and... And Peter, walking on the water, be not afraid, uh, fear not. Uh, all, it's throughout all of the standard works that we should not be afraid and we should not fear. Uh, it, it is a perhaps a, a sign uh, that we lack sufficient faith in Jesus Christ. And, and our faith in Jesus Christ certainly helps uh, to... Uh, Uh, overcome fear, but the ultimate antidote for overcoming fear 
as I think found in Moroni chapter 8, verse 16, uh, given by Mormon, uh, here in the middle of the battle in which he's losing all of his people, all of his armies, and you would think that of all people who would be afraid or fearful, it would be Mormon. But listen to what he writes to his son in a letter in uh, Moroni 8, verse 16. Woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner, for they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness, having authority from God. Now here's the point. And I fear not what man can do, for perfect love casteth out all fear. A prophet has no fear. I mean, I'm sure they are tempted by it, but a prophet has no fear. Uh, Mormon had no fear because his fear had been swallowed up in his perfect love. Perfect love casteth out all fear. And that perfect love is no doubt the gift of charity, uh, the pure love of Christ. How do we get that perfect love? Well, Moroni teaches us that in Moroni chapter 7, right? Yep, verse 48. Verse 48. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with his love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God. That's interesting. That's how we become the sons of God, right? Right. That when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have his hope that we may be purified even as he is pure. And that's actually Moroni, again, quoting or paraphrasing or teaching his father's teachings. Those are the same teachings Mormon shared with him. So Mormon has told us, perfect love casteth out all fear. That's also in the Bible, in the, uh, in the epistles of John. And then he says, we may obtain that love, that perfect love, pure love of Christ's charity by praying with all energy of heart. I've experimented with that over the years, Scott, uh, how to replace fear. I know that every day I feel fear. I believe every day all of us feel fear. I believe it is part of our daily mortal lives. But to let it settle in, on our minds or hearts. And give seed for it to grow. That's where we need to be more aware, be more mindful. I think there are so many people who are controlled and manipulated by their fears. If we don't recognize it, if we don't even identify it, we can't overcome it. So I just encourage our listeners to be really mindful. When they are feeling fear, to pray with all energy of heart, wherever they are. Immediately, as soon as you identify fear, this is what I've experimented with, I pray with all energy of heart, silently, out loud, wherever I am, depending on where I'm at, and uh, with all energy of heart. You can't have in your heart perfect love and fear. They cannot coexist. And perfect love is the antidote for fear. So I I think uh, I think it was uh, Pr- President Ugdorf when he was uh, in the first presidency, I think, 
they gave an amazing talk on that. Uh, I I learned that uh, after being called to be a patriarch because I was so filled with fear, it just shut me down spiritually. Well, I think you should share your story. I I don't I think maybe I have, but but yeah. But anyway, just briefly, I'll yeah. just briefly. Yeah. You know, when I was called to be patriarch, I I was told I there's what do you tell a patriarch and to prepare and uh, there's no handbook for patriarchs. They just they just told me, well, don't give any blessings until you're ready. Take take as much time as you need to get ready. I didn't know really what that meant, but I was trying. But I found myself getting further away from the Spirit instead of closing, closer to the Spirit. And I was trying to hide this. I was having this kind of internal battle. And uh, uh, to be honest, I don't want to sensationalize this, but uh, I was uh, really just looking back at it. I was attacked by Satan. I think he can attack us in many different ways. And I was attacked by Satan. And maybe most patriarchs are, I don't know. But I was uh, not myself. And my wife, I thought I was hiding it, but my sweetheart Chris called me out on it. And she told me one day, David, why are you so ornery? Ever since you were called to be patriarch, you've been ornery. What's wrong with you? Well... I knew there was something wrong with me, but I didn't know what. So I said, Chris, I, I got to just go away for a while and try to figure this out. I just got to get out of here. So I, 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 was, I didn't know if that would be days or <laughs> how long that would take me. Uh, it only ended up being hours. I didn't, I wasn't, it was, it was hours. I, I went away on a long drive and I ended up in some parking lot weeping and I, t- I grabbed my scriptures with me before I left. And um, I was going through the scriptures, and I found this scripture that just completely flipped me, changed me, and uh, it's a revelation given to the Whitmer brothers through the prophet Joseph Smith. I think it's Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 30, Scott. And if, um, well, maybe I'll read that. Here, I'll turn I think it's more appropriate that you read this one. Well, it's to David. You know, he starts out to David Whitmer, and when he... When I read the name David, it got my attention that God was really speaking to me, and he was in these verses. So I'll, I'll begin in the Doctrine and Covenants section 30, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I say unto you, David, that you have feared man. As soon as I read that, I knew that was my problem. Yeah. Because really, I was terrified to be a... To be someone who would have to receive revelation yeah, for someone I, I, else? I can't even imagine. To to be someone who declares their lineage, who, I mean, it just... It, uh, and, we would, talk, and we talked anyway. last episode about seeing with an eye of faith. You really have to be able to see with an eye of faith when you're in that position. It's so interesting. <clears throat> when I prepare to give patriarchal blessings, Scott, I literally close my eyes and try to receive a vision of how God sees them, yeah. past, present, and future, and how my prayers are answered by that uh, revelation, vision, imagination of of how God sees them, and and so it's it's powerful. But I knew that was my problem; that I was afraid. Behold, I say unto you, David, that you have feared man and have not relied on me for strength as you ought. That was my problem. But it goes on. Your But your mind has been on the things of the earth 
more than on the things of me, your maker, and the ministry, whereunto you have been called. And you have not given heed unto my spirit and to those who were set over you, but have been persuaded by those whom I have not commanded. Wherefore, you are left to inquire for yourself at my hand and ponder upon the things which you have received. Oh, wow. Well, that was life-changing for me, really, Scott. I knew that my my problem was fear. I'd been attacked by fear. It had shut me, completely shut me down from feeling the Spirit. I had been completely left to inquire for myself, right. which in is in and of itself really scary. And uh, and so I began this search on on fear and looking up every verse and trying to trying to understand it and uh, and understanding that it is part of mortality. It's part of being a fallen mortal human being. We all feel it every day, but we have more control over it, Scott, than I think most people would believe. Fear is a primary emotion. I'm not a psychologist, but I've had a lot of experience, you know, working, you know, with folks myself. Yeah, I've read that. But fear is a primary emotion. There's a couple of primary emotions, and fear is one of them. And a lot of the other emotions that we experience that we attribute to being problematic in our lives uh, really go back to fear. You know, those of us who are, you know, control freaks, that's fear. Fear of what? Fear of things not turning out the way we think that they should. Anger. Anger was the one for me that became, you know, so such a, a, an important understanding. You know, I, I, I dealt with a lot of anger a lot of my life, um, and I still have to kind of work on that, you know, but I understand it different. And, 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 I, and I've shared this before, too, but the way that I came to the understanding of that, David, was one day I was, you know, with a, I had maybe, I, I don't know how many years, <clears throat> several years of, of recovery, uh, you know, being clean and sober. I had been back in the church. I had been rebaptized. I was in full fellowship and I was really loving my covenant keeping and really working hard to stay on the covenant path. But I really had this anger problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, uh, I I won't get into all the reasons as to why, but uh, you know, I had a little bit of an anger problem and I'm sitting with my sponsor, not a member. He's passed now, big Al for he forever will be an important uh, role model, mentor, spiritual guide in my life. But we're sitting in a, actually in a coffee shop because that's where he liked to meet. And, and uh, we sat down and I, and I opened up to him. I said, you know, Al, I'm just so consumed with anger all the time. I have a real problem. We talked a little bit about it. And I, and I, again, I've shared this before, but he, he said to me exactly this. He says, Scott, you don't have an anger problem. You have a fear problem. You're afraid. Uh, and, you know, once Amen. I was able to understand that, and now today, anger still comes up. But when anger comes up today for me, I don't f- try to figure I shouldn't say always when I'm doing the right thing. And when I'm in tune, I don't always look for what somebody else is doing wrong. But I'm looking inside of myself saying, OK, what fear button is being pushed here? What am I afraid right. of in this situation? And when I do that, then I get, then I feel a portion of the spirit reenter my life. And the atonement again begins to take its take place. Uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ and the power of it again begins to take uh, over in my life and, and cleanses me of that fear yeah well i learned that for myself scott that my that my anger was almost always inextricably fear related to some fear yeah 
I, I again, I could share specific experiences related to that, but but all, all of us should become more aware of how fear controls other emotions and actions and choices in our life, and and the brethren and the Lord have told us that we can control our fears. Uh, Elder Bednar gave a whole talk on that called "Hush Your Fears." in general conference uh, several years ago. Uh, Elder Anderson refers to it in that in his chapter on the, in the book. But uh, we can we can overcome fear. We, we can't stop it. You can't stop fear from coming into your life. It's part of life. But you can replace it. It has to be replaced. It can't be stopped. It flows into our lives. Satan can bring it into our life just as he brings temptation into our life. If he can cause us to think fearful thoughts and go to places where we shouldn't go, and and all of a sudden we get ahead of ourselves and we begin to imagine these terrible, fearful things because of the the world and the challenges that we all deal with every day, then he's got us. I, I think one of my favorite all-time quotes, and I actually think somebody re- quoted this recently in General Conference, Scott. But anyway, it's it's Elder Scott, and I'll just paraphrase it, that trying to feel the spirit of the Lord when we are controlled with inappropriate emotions such as fear, pride, lust, jealousy, anger, envy, he goes through several inappropriate emotions. Trying to feel the spirit of the Lord when we are filled with inappropriate emotions is like trying to savor the flavor of a sweet grape while we are chewing on or eating a jalapeno pepper. <laughs> you can't feel the spirit of the Lord when you're filled with fear. And uh, you can't feel the love of Christ or God or the power of his atonement in your life when you are filled with fear. I also think, Scott, fear leads to pride. And I think I think fear and pride are actually connected. They're, they're both, I think, yeah. a yeah. evidence of, of some insecurity. Yeah. Pride is usually, when I, when I really yeah. feel pride, it's usually because I feel insecure which is the result of being fearful that I'm not good enough or not measuring up or that I have to act like something that I'm not or be something that I'm not or look better than I am or whatever. I think I think pride and fear are actually usually connected. So pride is, I know the antidote for pride is humility. Then I know that humility comes about best by you can again choose to either be compelled to be humble we've talked about this because this this is humility is also not only overcomes pride but it's also the predecessor that precedes faith in alma chapter 32 again on his great chapter on faith when he tells the zoramites i'm glad you're compelled to be humble but it would have been so much better if you would have become humbled by the word. It is the word of God, the word of Christ. It is it is the word the word is Christ and to know Christ and to see Christ 
suffering for our sins, to see Christ and compare, not to compare, but, but to see where we stand in relationship to him is very humbling, right? So the, 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 really the, the antidote to overcoming pride is humility and humility is best obtained when we, again, with an eye of faith, see our savior, see his holiness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, and also his suffering and what he was, what he loved us so much. He loved us so much that he was willing to suffer for us. That that's humbling. So, the antidote for both fear and pride is is love, love of Christ, and faith, faith in Christ. As we overcome fear and pride, then we're ready, I think, and willing to uh, move forward yeah. in repentance. I, you know, you made a comment about uh, you know the anecdote of fear. Being what again? The anecdote of fear and pride being faith and well, it's love, faith, and humility. Love, faith, and humility, and 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 you know, and and I want to just put some emphasis on faith. You know, faith and fear have a really difficult time existing in the same person. Mm-hmm. Faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in the right place, right? I mean, we talked about uh, several episodes ago, and and through the last several episodes that we can have faith in a lot of things, but faith in the Lord of Je- Jesus Christ and fear really cannot exist in the same place. Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, fear brought up I don't know how many times 47 times or something like that just in the just in the general text but on page 68 it talks about fear as part of an inventory and how that we see as we take our personal inventory how fear has ruled our lives and then it states and I'll just kind of paraphrase it but we think that fear should be classified with stealing it seems to cause more damage quoting from Elder Bednar's talk yeah on uh, hushing our fears, he says, Can we hush the fears that so easily and frequently beset us in our contemporary world? The answer to this question is an unequivocal yes. Three basic principles are central to receiving this blessing in our lives. One, look to Christ. Two, build upon the foundation of Christ. And three, Press forward with faith in Christ. That's it. So hushing our fears is the first step to really being able to cast out our fears and then developing the perfect love that casteth out all fear. It's so important that that we spend enough time here for us to really... Uh, understand that, you know, we're not just brushing through this fear, uh, this fear topic, this fear concept. This is universal. I think a whole course could be taught on Uh, on this one thing, Uh, Scott. Yeah, several courses, actually. It it could really benefit all of us to learn how to be, number one, more mindful. There you go. So that we recognize and identify our fears. Because I honestly, I didn't even know. I had no idea how how long, how I mean, I was 50-some years old when I was called to be a patriarch, and I realized that most of my life I had been controlled and manipulated by my fears. Fears. Me too. Fear of losing, fear of 
losing out, fear of fear of not appearing the FOMO, way I want to appear, missing out, fear of yeah. missing out. I, 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 you know, I, I had been so controlled and manipulated by fear that it was really humbling to me. In fact, it broke my heart, and uh, and I've been, I became super sensitized by it. Yeah. So that when I feel fear, I know I have a choice. Yeah. I and I think we all do really when we, when we become mindful. And uh, we can either let it stay or we can focus on Jesus Christ. And have faith in him. And when we have faith in him and we are filled with his love, when we, when we really feel, when our hearts are filled with love for Jesus Christ, fear can't exist. Yeah. Now, I used an example of anger, you know, and that was maybe the predominant overriding fear-based emotion that was controlling my life. But that's not the only one. And, and you know, and I'm not, I don't want to go in a prescription mode and say, hey, you know, if you're feeling this, it probably goes back to fear. Or if you're feeling that, it probably goes back to fear. Those That would be a self-inventory for each of us. But I'd invite each of us. If, we, if there's emotions, if there are insecurities, if there's angers, if there's uh, lack feelings of lack if there's feelings of pride. uselessness the, even pride goes back to fear it does uh, I think uh, they're uh, connected. and so you know all of those things if if we find things in our life that are causing us to to push the spirit away push the spirit away i guess that's really the only way to say that but if we have those things in our life, I would challenge each of us to just kind of go back to and see if, you know, is there a seed of fear in any of this? Because those two things, fear and pride, really are twin bullies, as Elder Anderson puts it, that keeps us from fully repenting. And by repenting, I mean turning away from those things that don't work to bring the spirit in our lives and facing the one who does facing the savior himself. And so uh, super important, maybe a good invitation, a good exercise for each of us to go through. You know, if you, if I, if I was talking to a sponsee in Alcoholics Anonymous right now, I would say, write it out, you know, write it out, you know, do what that. What your and, fears are. Yeah. Well, and, and what emotions are, uh, first off, I would start off what emotions are disruptive in my, in my life yeah. and write those out and then see if they have a base in fear and, and f- figure that right. out. But don't start with fear, start with the emotion and distill it to fear. And once we're able to distill those things to fear and pride, then the spirit can work with us. Yeah. Well, uh, it takes again, great work takes work it takes effort takes great desire to be able to to do these things and you you kind of said this already but but to review fear not only keeps us from progressing not only keeps us from repenting it keeps us from feeling the spirit of the lord It, it indeed does it's one of satan's biggest tools and that can kill all of us spiritually and uh it definitely uh, affects us emotionally. It can damage us mentally and physically. But here's what I know. And sometimes that feels like such a long road back, you know, because some of us are so entrenched in those things and we get so deeply where they become not just part of our life, but almost a part of our DNA, you know, and we feel that, you know, even sometimes the traditions of our fathers get passed with some of those fears that we learn from our DNA or from the evolution of fear. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Right. (laughs) But, but you know, uh, I, I, but that's inaccurate, you know, it, it, it immediately upon the discovery of fear and how it has effect in our life. And immediately as we turn that part of our life over to the care of our heavenly father, 
through the atonement of Jesus Christ, immediately we begin, mm. immediately we begin to feel the Spirit reenter into our lives, and it brings to us a sense of peace that may be, at that point in our lives, be unfamiliar to us, but so welcoming and so beautiful once it does. We, we have to believe that we are moral agents and that we can act. Yeah. And not always be acted upon. I mean, I know we're acted upon. Satan acts upon us every day. But we can choose to act and not to be acted upon when we begin to choose our emotions. Right. When we begin to choose love, when we begin to choose faith, it's all that's a choice. And I know they're all gifts from God as well. When we begin to act by praying and working and doing those things, um, then we are freed from the control and manipulation and and the evils that that come as a result of these inappropriate emotions i i i hope that our all of our listeners will begin to strengthen themselves emotionally uh and begin to control their emotions because i think it's really an important part scott of not just repenting but also recognizing forgiveness in our life if if people are weak emotionally it's harder for them to believe or to feel, identify, recognize forgiveness in their life yeah. and to be able to forgive others. Yeah. That takes great emotional strength, but you can't have emotional strength when you're being controlled by your emotions. So I, I, I actually have taught that we not only need to repent of our actions, but there was a talk written years ago by, by uh, Terry Warner you know, who started the Arbinger group. And Terry Warner once gave a talk at BYU devotional called How Do We Repent of Our Emotions? We not only need to repent of inappropriate actions, we need to repent of inappropriate emotions in order to recognize and feel the Spirit of the Lord in our life. Okay, so those are the two... Uh, roadblocks or the two twin bullies or however you want to see them that keep us from repentance, fear and pride, fear and pride. And uh, I know that we can, uh, with again, the help of God, prayer and effort and desire can overcome those. As we begin to jump into the principle of repentance, Scott, there are some myths that we need to identify that have been uh, perpetuated over the years concerning repentance. I think President Nelson's done amazing, and Elder Anderson in his book has done amazing to overcome these myths, but they still kind of hold people back from repenting. So we're, we're talking uh, today, and we will in our next podcast, about things that keep us from repenting. Uh, some of the myths that keep us from repenting, incorrect ideas, uh, it, this is kind of a funny part of helping Elder Anderson with the book. You know, when I was working on that chapter, I had titled it The Myths of Repentance. And uh, he he felt that that was a little harsh. And uh, so, so he, he t- entitled it as chapter 13. It's actually one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. But uh, chapter 13 in the book is called, uh, titled by him, detours on the road to repentance. (laughs) Well, I think they're myths, but if you want to think of them as detours, that's great.
that. Anyway, we'll we'll talk in more detail about these. So maybe I'll just introduce them today, and and then we'll uh, we'll talk about these myths next time. I think one of the one of the great myths of repentance, Scott, and it's really a problem. I know it has been for me. It has been for my wife. I think for most members of the church, is that we we used to see, and some people still do, that repentance is the punishment for sin. The punishment, penalty, and payment for sin. Well, we now know that's not true. Repentance is not the penalty. Repentance is not the payment. And repentance is not the punishment for sin. It's just the opposite. There is no suffering in repentance. Repentance brings relief. The suffering was done in the garden and on the cross. And the suffering is caused by sin. That's right. The cause of our suffering is sin, not repentance. And you're right. Jesus paid for all of that. He suffered it. He paid for it. He was punished by our sins, paid for our sins, all of that. He carried out the great ransom. So I I just loved it that after actually this book was written, when Elder or President Nelson just came out and gave that amazing talk and said, repentance is not suffering. And and this is scriptural. I mean, Doctrine and Covenants section 19, Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verse 4, it's really really short, um, repent or suffer, something to that effect. So it's like these are opposites. Repentance and suffering are not the same thing. They're not synonymous. Repentance and suffering are actually uh, antonyms, not synonyms. Yeah. Uh, this is 19.4 of Doctrine and Covenants. And surely every man must repent or suffer, for I, God, am endless. Repent or suffer. Yeah. The, they're antonyms. Opposites. Yeah. They are not the same thing. <laughs> so I don't know where this myth I I think I know and I won't give a whole history of that. Maybe we'll we'll go into more detail on that next next time. I think how that myth and how we can overcome that uh, defective uh mindset that that repentance is, is a punishment. It's not a punishment. And another myth is that repentance is a checklist. You know, yeah. it's a checklist of steps Yeah, that there, there's a certain five, number of R's. Five steps of repentance. Or the five R's or the yeah. six R's. I've heard as many as eight R's. Yeah. 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 Everybody wants to, you know, call them the R's of repentance. And uh, that's, that's a myth. No one should see repentance as though it's a checklist or like, okay, check, Got that check, one done. check. Yeah. I became really sensitized to that one day when I found a note in the back of my my seminary, my seminary uh, building, I'd found a note that a girl, and I'm so glad I didn't know who the girl was writing to whatever girl she was writing to. There were no names on this note. And I remember her uh, telling her friend, just saying, you know, about her, um, without details, that she had been immoral and she had confessed and repented of it to her bishop and that she was really glad that that was that that was over that she had that she had repented because she had confessed to her bishop and you know it's just so sad that so many people have uh 
like a checklist thought that this is repentance. It's not. It, you have to see it as a process, not as a series of steps. Uh, uh, detour number three or the the uh, great myth of repentance is that, and this is this would always capture the attention of my students, uh, uh, the myth is repentance is not changing your behavior. And they'd go, it's not? <laughs> and I know President Nelson is, has said that repentance is change, and it is, but repentance is not changing your behavior. Uh, even atheists can do that. You know, agnostics can do that. Buddhists, uh, Hindu, anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ can change their behavior. That's not repentance. Repentance is redeeming. Repentance is Christ is the center of it. That's right. Repentance and change is through Jesus Christ, not through your discipline. Repentance is turning to Christ. Not through your willpower. What? Repentance is turning to Christ. Yes. And it's not just a willpower of overcoming a bad habit. That's not repentance. Repentance is not stopping a behavior or changing a behavior. Anyone can do that. Anyway, we'll talk more about that next time. And the fourth myth, and there's other myths that could have been mentioned in this book, but the fourth one that uh, we discuss or, and will discuss next time is repentance uh, is what saves us. Repentance doesn't save us. There is no power in repentance. We've said that probably enough the last few weeks. Repentance doesn't save us. Jesus Christ and his atonement and his blood and our faith in him and in his name is what saves us and exalts us, Yeah, not repentance. Repentance helps qualify us. Definitely. Definitely helps qualify us but we don't earn anything from repentance, and there's no power in repentance. It's in Jesus Christ, his atonement, and our faith in him. So we'll talk more about those, Scott, and uh, we'll get really into the heart of this whole course next week as we, we focus uh, primarily on uh, those, those uh, roadblocks, detours, myths, whatever you want to call them. And uh, I think before, this is, this is important, and I'll end with this. Before you can um, know what repentance is, you have to know what it's not. And that's what we'll talk about next week, what repentance is not. Thanks, Dave. I'm really excited to, to uh, enter this part of the uh, our discussion in the podcast. I don't I don't know that I have a favorite part because it's all so important. But when we get to this part, this seems to be the key that kind of helps unlock the mis- the mystery. I think to a lot of us on you know what does this really mean and how do I really put this into practice in my life and how do I begin to qualify for the conditional and the unconditional blessings that help me overcome the physical and the spiritual death which is is the weakness that came because of the fall. And, and as we go through this, there's just something that's almost brings joy to me 
you know, as we begin to unlock this and begin to qualify and really realize, I think the big for, for me, and, and I see this in my students, in Devin Mind's students, as we teach Institute, as we begin to talk about these things, it's so freeing to understand that the checklist is not what's important. The, it, 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 it's non-existent, but it's the process. The process of what? The process of turning away from that which keeps us away from the Spirit and turning to Him who redeems us. That's repentance. Uh, just a simple, Amen. just a simple shift in our beliefs and in, in who we are, and oh my goodness, I can't, I can't even begin to articulate the freedom to our souls that can come as we embark in this journey in doing this in this process and to feel his love as we do it you know what we have deemed and termed as being so arduous and so much work and so much pain and so much uh it's just the opposite we begin to feel free we begin to feel light uh, i see people who seem and, and and this has been ex- and i felt it myself and even said these same words i feel a thousand pounds lighter and it's not because of a process. It's because of a redemption. It's because of what happened in the garden, what happened on the cross, what happened on the tomb, and his entire life prior to that, even going back to our pre-existence, as we have already discussed. Ah, I'm excited about this. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Remember, you have been redeemed through his blood. Remember that the hope through repentance helps qualify us for that freedom and that love that we are all entitled to feel while we're here. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week.